0: I went to watch the Canada Day fireworks along the waterfront like a few years back. And I remember there was like a really big Indian family near me. It honestly made me emotional, just like how they were all decked out. The dad, I think he had like a flag and like stuff on his head. Like even when the kids weren't enthusiastic, he was like pushing them to like get into it. They were all just so happy.
1: This is episode four. We're starting our episode a little differently today. While we'll discuss what identity and belonging mean to us as immigrants, we felt it would be remiss not to address the remains of 215 children that were found last month at a residential school in British Columbia, and recently, another 751 unmarked graves found in Saskatchewan. For those who don't know, residential schools were run by churches and the Canadian government to forcibly remove Indigenous children from their parents. And in doing so, erase their language, culture, and heritage on top of widespread disease and abuse at these schools. We are deeply saddened by this news, and our hearts go out to the families and the Indigenous community who are in mourning. There are many more children who are unaccounted for, and the ramifications of these schools continue to affect Indigenous people today, in addition to the injustices they already face. In this episode, as we talk about our families' journeys to Canada, we felt we should also acknowledge the people who were here first. Before we dive in, allow us to introduce ourselves. We have a few new guests today, Mario and Mayuri. Thanks so
2: much. My name is Mayuri. I use she, her pronouns. And my family is from India, from the states of Andhra Pradesh and Telangana. So we speak Telugu as our mother tongue. And I am a university administrator. So I am I work in higher education, and I'm also doing a PhD in higher education, which is something that can really feed into the construction of national identity. So it's something that's constantly on my mind.
0: Absolutely. Welcome, Mayuri. I'm Mario. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Redocracy, and my family is from Romania in Eastern Europe. Uh, I was actually born just a few months after they made it here, after a winding journey. Uh, we went back, and actually I lived there for some time. and lived in some other places and then came back. Yeah, that's a very big part of growing up, and I'd say my identity. So yeah, glad to be here.
3: Awesome. Thanks, Mario. Hi, my name is Ariane Tong. I'm a comedian in Toronto, and my parents are both mixed from Guyana, which is in South America. Although I wasn't born in Guyana, I have gone back several times in my youth, and a lot of my childhood memories are in the West Indies. So I'm excited to talk about that and our kind of fringe identities that we have as first-generation Canadians. Absolutely. And to close out, my name is Lucy.
1: I was born in China, and I moved to Canada with my parents when I was six. Let's get started. So with regards to Canada Day, as immigrants or children of immigrants, I think many of us have really positive associations of Canada because it gave our families more opportunities. It was in many ways a safe haven from countries that they left. And at least for my parents, the Canadian immigration policy was a lot more straightforward than some other countries. So it actually was the easiest way for them to become naturalized citizens. But I think we can be grateful to be here. But at the same time, we can also be critical of our country and call out certain injustices, like how Indigenous people have been historically treated and are still being treated today. I'd love to hear your perspectives on this kind of in-between that many immigrants might find themselves in. What's your take on it?
2: Yeah, so for my family, I mean, my father immigrated here in the 70s to pursue his master's degree. And so it was definitely always shrouded in that idea of opportunity and promise and Like it is for many immigrant families, it really encapsulates this idea of possibility. And in the process of immigration, you have to do the civic tests and prove your deservedness of citizenship. But at no point are you faced with the reality of the histories at play and how cultural genocide is really the root of the foundation of this country. And so it's very complex to think about India being colonized by the British and that still permeating a bit of a victim complex (laughs) among formerly colonized populations and then associating yourself with a citizenship that is culpable of the very same to this day, and that all of those facets of domination and intentional marginalization remain to this day. So it can be really confusing to know what it means to be patriotic. And I think it's a constant journey of grappling with being happy to be here. I think we like to compare ourselves to the States or other parts of the world where we say, well, at least we're not that country. But that's a really easy way to avoid responsibility. And it's something that we've, we've used for a long time as a way to prop ourselves up as the kinder one, the more humanitarian country. And you sort of feel in the process of becoming a citizen that you want to be grateful. You want to be thankful. You don't want to be an ungrateful immigrant. And so that kind of is underlying this feeling as well, but it's something that has to be contested with. And so sometimes I'm proud, sometimes I'm not, but when you truly love something, like if you love your country, you want it to be its best iteration. And that means contending with the atrocities of of history and contemporary injustices too.
3: I do think that our parents came here more focused on building a life What our parents perceived was that they were moving from a situation where they might not have had enough food back home. I know that my mom always mentions those times where they had to line up at the grocery store as soon as they had like a certain food item come in. And memories of being back home are still something that they don't really talk about that much. And I have to kind of push them to talk about these really intense stories. Like my mom had once mentioned that they were all locked in their houses one day trying to not be seen by a certain ethnic group because they were being attacked. So it was like a lot of racial tensions happening within Guyana at that time between dark skin and light skin people of color. So, you know, I don't understand much of it. But what I do understand is that this kind of stuff happens all the time in British colonies. So Guyana was a British colony and politically, like it was just like not a good scene to be in at that time, which is why they were really excited to come to Canada because they thought it would be different. And I feel like the excitement of all of that really overshadowed the fact that they were just moving to another British colony. (laughs) They were still in the Commonwealth. (laughs) It's just uh, moving to a different version of what already existed.
0: I think for a lot of immigrants coming here, it was so much more inclusive and thoughtful than anywhere they were coming from. And so I think it becomes difficult to criticize that because you actually appreciate it a lot. But it's interesting because it almost feels like here, if you have the, it's odd to say, but like the privilege of being an immigrant, you exist within a bubble, which does represent all these good things. But if you happen to be on the outside of that bubble, then you're back into like things that are almost equivalent to what you would have in like colonies everywhere.
2: Yeah, that's something I wanted to kind of add to as well is that idea of being both marginalized and privileged at the same time, because I think we're really brought up with the notion that those are two opposing realities and that there's kind of no dialogue between those two identities. It can be difficult to like break that binary because we've been almost taught to exist in that binary. So that's something that is complicated when you think about your identity in these two ways. And then also just thinking about who as immigrants and as citizens of Canada, like who are we truly accountable to? And that's something that you have this government of Canada that's afforded you this quote unquote privilege of citizenship and the power that comes with it. But are we accountable only to the state that's offered us this privilege or the stewards of the land that have been here since the beginning, right? Or to our communities that, that are here and to our fellow immigrants. For me, it's always this question of like, who do I owe things to? Who am I actually accountable to with, at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, that's a very deep question. With a lot that's been happening this year, you know, a lot of anti-Asian hate, Islamophobia. I mean, we all heard about what happened in London, Ontario recently when four Muslim people were killed just because they were Muslim anti-Semitism, the Black Lives Matter movement, we're all really reflecting on that and realizing how deep of an issue this is. And a lot of times people will say, like, well, this isn't Canada. You know, maybe in the U.S., mary you kind of mentioned this before as well, like we think of it happening in other countries. But when it happens in our country, it's weird to grapple with that. And what's crazy is Vancouver had the highest increase in anti-Asian hate in North America was an increase of 717%. So this is happening here. It's happening in our country as well. You know, we are just as culpable of it as in the U.S. or other countries. And I think it ties back to what we were saying before, like as Canadians, where we have this really rosy picture of our country and we're super proud of being Canadian and and maybe that is just really good PR, but it's kind of hard to digest sometimes that yeah, this is our country. This is our Canada. And it's unfortunate that people here still don't feel safe.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said it's absolutely been a fact from the founding of Canada till now and it's not individual acts although that's how it's been manifesting but it's like we have structures of exclusion and marginalization or structures that were built to prioritize certain populations over others and that is how the U.S. was built and that's how Canada was built so this shouldn't actually be surprising even when we heard the unfortunate tragedy of the 215 children being found I I didn't understand people's shock because we know this, we know this history and we really need to face it head on. So I absolutely agree with that. And I think for a lot of people, it's a process of unlearning. Like We talked a lot about our own relationship with being Canadian and some of the rosy depiction that we got from our parents in terms of being grateful. And it's been internalized to a certain degree. And it's normal to want to defend something when you feel like it's being attacked. And you're like, no, this is the place that gave my family a home and it's given me so many things. But we have so much that we have to untie from that connection and to really look critically at our own actions within this too. I honestly carry a fair bit of shame that in many ways, I was an instrument of assimilation as well as a kid. Like I wanted my parents to be more white in public. I wanted them to speak English. I didn't want them to wear traditional clothes. I don't want them to speak our language all of these things. Somehow, through our education system, through cultural upbringing, whatever it was, whether explicit or implicit, this society here made me clearly aware of what normal was and what normal wasn't. And I'm aware of the ways in which I too was an agent of that as a kid. Now, I know I was innocent in many ways, and I was sort of constructed to be that way. But that's how deep rooted this is, is that you have children of immigrants or immigrants that are sort of putting that on their own parents or their own family members or trying to de-ethnicize themselves, you know? So I think this is a really deep rooted thing that we carry in us as well, that it's also our responsibility to like unlearn that, unpack it, and then use it to uplift other populations that are facing that. So it's absolutely essential.
1: Ultimately, we're not experts on the topic, but we are committed to learning more, including what we can do to help Indigenous people get the reconciliation that they deserve. We'll be sharing more links and resources on our Instagram page at Growing Up Immigrant Pod. Shifting gears a little bit, I know we talked about our parents' journeys and, and our journeys to Canada. I'd love to hear what your experience was like and why your parents picked Canada.
3: My parents came to Canada to escape the political tensions that were happening in Guyana at the time. And there were also different incentives to, to come to Canada. But also, I mean, it was different for, I guess, different communities. Like where you ended up depended on where you knew the most people. So it was basically either New York or toronto and my parents knew more people in scarborough so they moved to scarborough and from what i gleaned from their experience coming here was mostly they didn't come here with anything my dad didn't come here with any money whatsoever they built based on their whole community so they found an apartment my dad found a job really quickly fixing cars and the whole community came together you basically outfitted your apartment from what other people had discarded and stuff they have positive memories from that time i think that since they moved to canada they always made sure to remind us how grateful we should be to be here i definitely had a lot to be grateful for so i've been told <laughs> there's a lot of that resonates there
2: for me as well it's the decision to come was really motivated by primarily by education so my dad's desire to pursue further learning and then there were these sort of narratives around Canada, and now that I reflect on it, I have no idea where they came from, but there was this idea that Canada was just nicer, that you would be more accepted, life would be a little bit easier. Yeah, I don't know if Canada just had really good PR at the time or what was happening, but their recruitment strategy was pretty effective because that narrative was very much in my dad's head. He applied to universities in both the U.S. and Canada and he said, you know, I, I knew Canada would be a more welcoming place. So that's why I chose it. It was also because my aunt was already um, actually in Scarborough as well and sponsored my dad. So it's it's also that bit of you kind of go where you have family, you go where your community is. And it was very similar in that they just found their community, faith-based, language-based, national-based, really whoever they could find that was remotely similar, whatever that meant. Some commonality was their people and It's who gave them the hand-me-down furniture and supported with childcare and just made this life feasible in absence of the, like, huge family networks that they had back home that they're so used to having.
1: Yeah, that's super similar to my parents' story, too. They actually first moved to the U.K., they were actually really lucky to be able to get scholarships to study there. And I didn't know this at the time, but we were living in public housing. We were on welfare. I remember my parents would take me to McDonald's and I'd get a Happy Meal or something. And they would just sit and watch me eat because we couldn't afford for everyone to eat at McDonald's. And so, yeah, it was it was definitely a tough time for them. And they worked at a Chinese restaurant and in the evenings just to make money. But I think for them, the reason why they moved to Canada was because... It was hard to become a naturalized British citizen. And I think some of their friends had told them that it's easier to do in Canada. And I think Canada still has this system. It's like a point system based on your experience, your education, your language skills, et cetera. So my parents were able to immigrate here as skilled workers.
0: That story about your parents watching at McDonald's, that's so, I guess, heartwarming, but also heartbreaking at the same time. And as I've grown up, I've heard just so many stories of what my parents went through and i feel like an incredibly weak person as a result just like i don't know how they did that at the age they did that pre-internet it's just shocking to me like I, i don't know how they had the fortitude and yeah like my parents they similarly came here i think their main motivation was the education They left Romania during communism, which was, like, not easy to do. And so that whole journey was crazy. Multiple countries. And they left, like, a pretty decent life behind, too, to do it for us. My dad, in particular, he was part of the Artist Guild, which was, like, a big deal back then. And he was making, like, solid money. But, like, one story I want to highlight, which I think is so impressive, and there's many. But my mom, who had her engineering degree and had, like, a lot of experience and was, like, amazing in Greece... The only job she could get was as a cleaning lady. And she was pregnant with me at the time and had my older brother as well already. And so she, pregnant with me, would go to this house hours away on the bus to clean, to like make some money. And while she was there, uh, it was the home of a guy who had a, had a software company. And she would finish her cleaning and she asked, can I read the software books to learn to program? And basically, while she was there, she managed to learn well enough that she was the one who fixed like a bug that was like bringing down the company. And as a result of that, like she was able to like get recommendations and everything. And when she came to Canada, she somehow was able to leverage that. And she has a plaque on the wall, which I still look at, which says sometimes on the way to a dream, you get lost and find a better one. It's just like, let's make a movie about that. Like, that's just crazy. And so, yeah, I think she's a superhero. And, and that's just scratching the surface of the things that I know they've had to go through. And when I, I can't imagine having the strength to do it, it's, it's amazing.
2: Well, that's an amazing story. and <laughs> It was so lovely to hear about. It just made me think about how much our parents like shielded us from things. Like there's so much that I didn't know until I was well into my 20s. And that's when I learned more about my parents' actual socioeconomic position when they arrived, the racism that they faced, the barriers that they faced, the challenging times, the food insecurity, like, All of that is something I just never knew about growing up, even though that fear of not having enough and being quite conservative in spending all of that definitely still permeated the household. But I didn't know where it came from. I think for a long time, I was like, oh, it's just Indian culture. I guess we're always just looking for a bargain or something. But it's so much deeper than that. There was so many things that they shielded from my sister and I, and it's another testament to that resilience where they held it in themselves. They bore the brunt of this journey and this transition, and they just, I don't know, it's such an emotional thing, really, thinking about how you're just the center of your parents' world, and that's what I also hear from your story, Lucy, is your parents, just that your joy in having, you know, McDonald's Happy Meal, like, that brought them joy, and that was enough, and being just, like, the center of the world is so incredible is something that I always feel like, I don't know that I'll ever really be able to repay them for that, but it's just incredible. The sort of quiet resilience, Mario's mom, that's a very overt, like that's incredible. And then for my mother, she hasn't externally accomplished anything like that, but there is a quiet resilience in her that comes out in moments where I'm like, wow, you are holding all of this in and you're not even, it's not even coming out. So I. Yeah, there's just, yeah, there's so much there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just on that point, I I think it's interesting that they're so casual about it. Like, there's things I will find out in passing that I'm like, how are you just, like, casually mentioning this, you know? Like, this is a crazy experience or thing you had to go through. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, like, whatever. So I can totally relate to that.
1: And I think a lot of times they think of their parents, right? And if you go back another generation, Our grandparents, I mean, at least my grandparents, they had an incredibly rough life living in communist China, going through the Cultural Revolution. I'm sure in all our countries, there was a lot, you know, World War Two, lots of things happening. So I think for our parents, too, it's like, well, you know, my life might not be so great or this is really hard. But I think about my parents' lives and I need to be grateful, too.
3: Yeah, I think that their project was just to create generational wealth and to make sure that we were okay, because I think that they had that strength of focus that they were going to come here and then they were going to make sure that we were in a better spot than they were. I feel that each one of us has a story of our parents probably telling us that the reason why they came to this country is to give us better opportunities and to make sure that we had a better life than they did. From the previous shows that we've done, I think we've uncovered the fact that they sacrificed so much for us to sort of thrive. And I think that they did a really good job overall. But yeah, just creating that generational wealth of like, they started something by coming here. And I think that we're like going to be taking the baton very soon. And It's really amazing what they accomplished in this lifetime. My parents didn't have any like accolades or whatnot. But I think that buying a house when they did at the right time and being able to pay that off and like having that be their investment, I really have to tip my hat to these parents. When was
1: the first time you noticed that you had multiple cultural identities? I'll give an example. I remember I had a sleepover at a friend's house and First of all, just being able to go to a sleepover was a huge thing. Like it took a lot of me (laughs) persuading my mom to let me go. And so, you know, she was a white Canadian girl and we had spaghetti for dinner. Her mom had made spaghetti. And because growing up, I ate mostly Chinese food at home. It was like such a treat for me to have spaghetti. And so I ate the whole thing. I made sure to finish everything off my plate because that's what I was taught. And my friend had finished, I don't know, maybe like two thirds of her spaghetti. And she's like, mom, I'm done. Like, can we go play now? I was like, oh, my God, her mom's going to be pissed. Like, how dare she? And then her mom was like, yeah, just like scrape and you guys can go play. And I was like, what's scrape? And my friend goes to the garbage and starts scraping the food in the garbage. And I was shocked. First of all, if that happened in my household, my parents would be furious And either they eat it or we put it away. And I just remember that moment and being like, oh, my God, who is she? Like, what is this? This is not normal. And that kind of made me realize, wow, things are definitely different between my family and her family.
0: It's sacrilegious.
1: Absolutely.
3: Actually, there is one memory that I have of when I was really young and all the kids on the street were still outside playing and it was still light out. And I love being outside since since I was little, I'm like, kind of a social butterfly. And my mom was yelling for me to come inside. And I was like, the sun's still out, let me live. And she got so mad that she like came outside and grabbed me from the scruff of my neck to come inside. And I was screaming to to stay outside. And all the kids, all white people on my street were just like looking at me in horror. And that's when I knew that like, my family was just different. She was just one of those like, overly protective mothers where it was like, you have to go in at a certain time and it's just not safe to be out in the street, like at dusk. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to both of those stories. I mean, when
2: you're young, you just want to fit in. I think that's all anyone wants. Everyone just wants to be whatever normal is, whatever that's being presented as. And I grew up in... A town of 6,000 people. We were the Brown family. There weren't any other ones. So we were sort of the people of color to point to as being the different ones. So I was always very aware that I was different. At a young age, I really didn't want to be. And that's something that I, it's still an ongoing journey, right? But I almost created like a cultural threshold. It was like when I was at home, that's when I could be. Indian. I could speak Telugu. I could do all of my cultural things. The language was different. The smells were different. The rules were different. And I just existed in that sphere. Like my private sphere was that. And then when I crossed my front door, then it was like entering Canada. So then it would be like English and it would be food that didn't have a lot of spices or smells to it because you didn't want to bring a lunch that was horribly you know, offensive to your classmates. And All those kinds of things, the way you dressed, the way you spoke, it was all just different. So, I actually think for a long time, I tried to keep those two as separate as possible. And so, when you're a kid and you would have, I remember having a friend over for lunch because sometimes you'd kind of go to someone's house for lunch. And I would always want to go to someone else's house because, like you, Lucy, I wanted that food. I wanted like the macaroni and cheese and the grilled cheese sandwiches and whatever it was. And if people came to my house, I it was instant anxiety for me. I'm like, oh God, okay, they're going to question everything. They're going to be like, what is that statue? What is this picture? What is the weird stuff in the fridge? I don't, what is that? Like, you know, <laughs> and so it took me a long time to embrace it. It was something I really wanted to keep separate as much as possible as a kid.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I saw this meme the other day and it says, I just realized for every Asian kid's traumatic memory of being teased for bringing Asian food to lunch, there's an Asian parent's traumatic memory of their kids saying they don't want to bring that type of food at school anymore. Think about it in your parents' perspective of you going to your parents and being like, this food is gross. I'm embarrassed to bring it to lunch. And how they would feel. And I remember my mom definitely overcompensated in learning how to make the best sandwiches ever. Like we'd go to Longos and she'd get the Italian deli meat and all the lettuce and tomatoes and all that stuff. And so like my lunches were great.
0: That's so sweet. The other thing I just wanted to mention is I, I find it interesting that being back in Romania, somebody pinpointed that I'm a foreign like I could speak the language and they pinpointed that I'm not from there just by the way I dressed. And I did not think I stood out. Like, I could not identify what about me was different. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, like, for sure. And so I thought that was so interesting because it reinforced the subtlety of then the Canadian side of what makes me not fully Romanian, you know?
2: Yeah, we would go to India every two years or so. And I remember that uh, it was the same thing. I would do everything I could to dress like girls my age and do my hair like them and everything but it was just always clear that i was a foreigner whenever we went to shops my parents wouldn't let me speak because then we would get the we would get the expensive foreigner price once they heard the way i spoke so so to this day when we go to india i still feel like i shouldn't speak when we go to the shop because i want them to get the best deal so i can definitely relate to that
1: This month is also Pride Month, and since we're talking about identities, I wanted to touch on the experience of identifying as LGBTQ, particularly in immigrant culture. I think for a lot of immigrant groups, there's definitely a lack of understanding and acceptance of people who identify in this way. Many immigrants come from countries where homosexuality is still outlawed. There are about 70 countries in the world where this is still the case. Or they come from countries where it may not be illegal, but where same-sex marriage is still unrecognized. Ariane, you've been one of the main voices of this podcast, and you identify as queer. I am super appreciative that you're open to sharing your experiences with us. What was it like coming out to your family, and how does being queer intersect with your immigrant identity?
3: Yeah, I. it was not easy for so many reasons, because still by law, you can't be gay in Guyana. When I was growing up, I didn't necessarily know what I was, you know, sexual identity is just so hard in itself. Plus, to have the culture thing on top of it is even harder. Plus, growing up as a Catholic was very confusing as well. Now I have a great understanding of who I am. I won't compromise and like, I don't feel uncomfortable talking about it. Although I never came out to my dad because he passed away before I could learn even for myself who I really was. So when I was on that journey of self-discovery, I discovered that I had to come out to my mom, my family at some point or another, or else it was just sort of me hiding and like I wouldn't really be able to fully actualize if I hadn't discussed it and just expressed myself, even though I wasn't really sure if I was like fully gay or bisexual or whatever at the time, I just knew I had to express it and my mom was so supportive from the second i said it she just gave me the biggest hug and she said like why did you wait so long to tell me and like it was a very positive experience but it was just difficult i'm glad that we had a good experience with my coming out story and she considers august 4th to be my new birthday because it's when she really got to know me and yeah it really just was wonderful and I think that identity has really messed me up since I was little because it's like you always want to be put in a box. You always want to belong to a group. And I think that that was really hard growing up because I didn't know who I really belonged to. I didn't know if I belonged to my family's culture or the culture at school or I didn't know if I was gay or straight or somewhere in between. And, you know, you had people saying that there's no such thing as bisexuals because it's just a stop on the way to gay. And it's just like, that's not true. Everything is a spectrum. And right now, I think I'm less confused about things because you can just define yourself however you want to be. And you don't have to identify with one more than the other. You don't need to, like, tick a box necessarily. It's really nice to be fluid in a way where, you know, you can just say, yeah, these are my experiences. Like we've been talking about on this show, we all share a lot of the same variances and like different bodies. I think that that's something I've learned over time. Yeah.
1: And I think it is so moving to hear about your mom's, you know, reaction and how she was so supportive. And, you know, obviously that's not the case for a lot of people, but I think the more we share those stories and the more we share the positive and the negative, it helps people who are maybe in the same position as you, maybe five, 10 years ago to feel more comfortable to tell their story.
3: I totally agree with that because ever since I saw her reaction, I really wasn't expecting her to react that way. And I was moved because I have known this woman at her worst. And it was just really a teachable moment for me to not assume about what other people are thinking. Because if I had come out to my mom a little bit before, maybe it would have been a little bit more rocky, but at least I would have known that she still loves me. There's the base of love. And to never assume that she would not love me because of one thing about me. I think that the biggest regret I have is waiting to tell my mom because we have had so many great experiences since then. And it was my assuming that she would not accept me that really hindered our relationship for a while. So as much as I was putting on her, those were some of my hangups. And I feel like for me to sort of accept her and love her and kind of give her the opportunity to show me who she was like that was really necessary in the whole equation. So it was a really big learning for me as well. And I try to live my life by that as well now to not assume what anyone is going to react to just kind of put it in their court, and then they will show me who they are. And then we'll either get along or we won't at first and maybe they'll have room to grow. I wanted to close
1: out and ask you guys, what does being Canadian mean to you? I do feel like being Canadian does give me the freedom and the privilege of voting and speaking out against the government, free speech, all of this stuff, which in China obviously is not the case. You can't do any of that. And I became a Canadian citizen when I was in grade six. My parents, being Chinese parents, they didn't allow me to go to my own citizenship ceremony because it was in the afternoon on a weekday. And so they didn't want me to miss even an afternoon of school. So I never got to go. But I actually attended a public citizenship ceremony a few years ago, and it was so moving to me just to see all these people. And I'm sure they all have their stories of how far they've come and what they had to overcome to get to that point. And... For me, the biggest thing is every time I do something like I vote or perform any kind of civic duty, it's it's always really moving to me. Like I always get really emotional because I know that if my parents hadn't left, I wouldn't be able to do that. I'm getting emotional just talking about it. But that's like a really profound thing for me is to kind of have that freedom.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to maybe sound like a really simple one, but we have an incredibly powerful passport and I've been able to work all over the world as a result of that. And it is absolutely like a tremendous privilege that I am really grateful for. I've just been able to pursue, I've been able to be incredibly selfish, frankly. Like we talked about our parents and how much they did for us and how much their dreams were for us to be able to dream. And I've been able to live that out. It's just been the access to opportunities and being received a certain way in different parts of the world, frankly. When you tell people you're Canadian, when you travel or live somewhere else, they do treat you differently. And there's all these privileges that absolutely come with being Canadian. And I still, I have a profound love for it. When I'm away from home, uh, all I want is for people to send me like poutine and maple syrup and ketchup chips and all this stuff that you can't get elsewhere. And all these things are wrapped up. And that's what makes your relationship with your country so complex, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a perfect segue to a couple of things I wanted to mention. One one is, yeah, like the glow, the halo that comes with being Canadian when you're abroad. But for me, it was particularly poignant because coming from Romania, there's, um, for a variety of reasons, a pretty big stigma and, in some cases, hatred of Romanians in Western Europe. And so when I was living in Paris, it made a huge, huge difference being able to say I was Canadian or Romanian. And there were cases where the, the conversation would be so fun and lighthearted when they were thinking of me as Canadian. And then when it found out that I was actually Romanian background, it suddenly turned cold or they would stop talking to me. <laughs> to experience that firsthand is is pretty powerful and to know what that's like. And so, yeah, being able to just switch and like focus on the Canadian side and have that like backup card is like a huge privilege. And then I think also the comfort and appreciation for multiculturalism, I think that's a strength and also just makes life richer. And I've been hopping back and forth to Romania more. I get there and I'm, it takes me a while to get comfortable with how homogenous it is. And I feel like weird. I feel like, where is everybody? I'm grateful. and proud of the fact that that's how I think. And like, that's what I'm looking for. The things we do and the way we live and, and the, the cultures and the food and the things you learn from your friends growing up is just something I'm, I'm really proud about. And the last thing I just wanted to say on that point of being an immigrant and having these multiple identities is that it can be a superpower to have multiple identities and cultural references and knowledge. Because the way I think about it, if you just have one, that's like your one data point. But like if you have multiple cultures you're identifying with it's almost like you can start triangulating. You get a third piece of data and you're like, oh my God, but I can see it from these two different perspectives. And so suddenly I have such a richer viewpoint on things. And I think that is honestly a superpower, especially in today's world. Um, And it's something to like really, I think, be proud of and be grateful for. I love that.
3: Yeah, I think that one of the things I'm most proud of is to live in a country that I don't feel any fear going out on the street, being with my partner. We are free to be married. We're free to express ourselves. We're free to be in love in public. And many places in the world aren't like that. So I, as a queer individual, I I am very proud for that. What I really do love is every single time I've gone away for an extended period of time and come back I feel like I appreciate Canada a little bit more I feel a sense of hope every time I come back home which is a really nice feeling to have so I feel like even though Canada does have its issues and we're working through them I really do feel a sense of pride every time I come home and I know that I feel protected and I feel like I am free to be who I am
1: we hope you enjoyed episode four. Growing up immigrant, we definitely had to balance two or more identities, sometimes feeling like we belonged more in one or the other, or sometimes feeling like we didn't belong anywhere. That's only natural. I think we can all say we are proud to be Canadian and proud of our various identities. However, we can be proud of our country and what it offers us while also being critical of the injustices. By calling out the problems, we'll only make this country even better for future generations, whether for Indigenous people, new immigrants, and all Canadians. On this Canada Day, we wish you a day of reflection, learning, and belonging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Growing Up Immigrant. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to connect with us at Growing Up Immigrant Pod on Instagram and at Grow Up Immigrant on Twitter. See you next time.